0: We're gonna continue in our worship this morning through the preaching of God's word. And so I wanna read our passage for us. And our passage is found in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screens and it's in the YouVersion Bible app as well. But we'll be reading uh, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. And it says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you will, bow in me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that in it are the words to life, that it is fully sufficient to do what it sets out to do to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So, Lord, we pray for Pastor Kevin as he faithfully proclaims your word, Lord, that you'll give him clarity of mind. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, that we would come with humility to the word of God. Lord, that you would open us up. Lord, that we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are willing to be shaped and molded and conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ryan. And Thank you for being here in worship today. And if you're in our overflow room or if you're uh, watching or listening online right now, I'd like to welcome you as well. We are concluding today uh, this series that we have been in called A Different Gospel. uh, where We have been looking at this movement uh, that is called progressive Christianity. And this is the definition that we have given uh, each week for progressive Christianity. It is a movement with historical Christian roots yet differs in its view of the Bible Christian doctrines, moral, and social issues. And so if you're new today or if you've missed any one of the past several weeks, let me take just a moment uh, to catch you up with where we have been. First of all, progressive Christianity is a movement with historical Christian roots, meaning this has largely happened within churches and denominations that have, through most of their existence, held to very traditional Christian beliefs. Years ago, when I was in graduate school at Sanford University, uh, while I was there, they hosted for a week of lectures an individual named Dr. Fitzsimmons Allison. Uh, at the time, he was the bishop over the Southern uh, Diocese of the Episcopal Church in South Carolina. Uh, it was a very prominent position. That meant that he was the bishop over the city of Charleston, uh, which was a prominent city uh, with a number of a Episcopal's in that city. However, he was traditional and very conservative in a denomination that even back then had begun to move in its beliefs to much more liberal beliefs. Uh, They had had already made the decision uh, to allow their clergy to perform same-sex marriages. And so I had the chance to take him to dinner one night and I said, Dr. Allison, I just want to ask you about what it's like for you to serve in such a prominent role in a denomination that has drifted so far. And he said, yeah, it's tough. He said, I go to these meetings with these other bishops and they poke fun at me because of my beliefs. But I just look at them and I ask them this question. Who moved? Meaning, I haven't changed my beliefs, You guys are the ones who have changed. This movement has happened largely within denominations and churches that through most of their existence, they have held to historical Christian beliefs, but in the last couple of decades, they have changed. They have moved to align their beliefs with the culture rather than with scripture. And so the first couple of weeks, we talked about these beliefs. And then on week three, we talked about the differences between historical Christians and progressive Christians on their views of the Bible. Specifically, is the Bible the Word of God or is it just the writings of men? Then the next week, we talked about Christian doctrines and the differences in those beliefs, uh, specifically on Jesus, who He is and why He came. And then last week, we looked at the moral issue of sexuality uh, and how progressive Christians have redefined what is moral and immoral regarding sexual relationships. This week, as we close this series, we are going to look at social issues or what is commonly called the social gospel. And specifically, what is the main purpose of the church? Why do we exist as a church, Philip Gully is a progressive pastor who lives in Indiana. Uh, several years ago, he wrote a book entitled, If the Church Were Christian, Rediscovering the Values of Jesus. And in this book, he lists 10 beliefs of progressive Christians. Number 10 is the belief that if the church were Christian, this life would be more important than the afterlife And so in this chapter, Gully wrote these words. If the church were Christian, we would do what Jesus did. Equip one another to live better in this world and stop fretting about the next one. Now this statement in this entire chapter is really his views on how the church needs to do very practical, tangible things to make a difference in this world. Again, this is called the social gospel. And I agree with the first half of his statement. The church should do those things. And traditionally the Christian church has done these things to make this world a better place. Christians were at the forefront of the abolitionist movement, both in this country and in Europe. Why? Because Christians recognize that every individual is created in the image of God and has worth because of that fact, and therefore, slavery is inherently wrong. It was Christians who led the abolitionist movement. Christians have started hospitals, they've started orphanages, homeless shelters, universities. Christians have been at the forefront of making a practical difference in this world. And so Gully is very much correct that we should be about equipping one another to live better in this world. However, I very much disagree with the second half of his statement. The gospel is very much about eternity. In other words, we should fret about the next life. If all we do is worry about the here and now, and if all we do is talk about the here and now, we have done our world a great disservice. The New Testament book of James says that our lives are like morning mist that appear for just a moment and then gone. So if you live 70 or 80 or even 100 years, in terms of all of eternity, that is just a drop in the bucket. And an ocean, of eternity, meaning why would we focus on the here and now only the nanosecond of this life and not the afterlife? Why would we feed someone who is hungry only to fill his belly now without also talking about the gospel so that he might experience eternal life? When it comes to progressive Christians and historical Christians, There are essentially two basic divisions. The first division is this. The progressive Christians and historic Christians disagree over how to best love others. In other words, we would agree with the fact that as a church, as Christians, we are called to make a difference in this world and we are called to love our neighbor. We agree on that fact. What we disagree on is how that should be done. In 2017, a group of 100 progressive pastors gathered in the city of Boston to create a document that they called the Boston Declaration. Uh, This document was then posted online and has since been signed by over 2,000 pastors. Uh, The purpose of the declaration was to call Christians into action In making a difference in our nation and our world which sounds like a good thing right except when you read the document it doesn't seem to fit with how historically Christians have sought to live out this command in the world there are a number of steps they list in this document of actions that Christians should take here's one may we bear witness to the hues of difference in God's life, a God who is neither male nor female and who embraces all people regardless of their identity. This sounds to me like it's advocating um, transsexual actions um, and I'm not really sure why they say God is neither male nor female. Jesus must have missed that fact because he referred to God as father, never mother. And Jesus said that God created humans, male and female. So I'm not really sure exactly what that's about, but that's one of their action points. Um, Another one is, may we stand in solidarity with our Muslim sisters and brothers and all immigrants fighting against Islamophobia and xenophobia. Certainly as Christians, we believe that racism is wrong and we need to fight against that. However, this seems to be advocating that Muslims uh, have the same faith that we have, Muslim brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're all equal in that regard. Um, I don't think that's really an action point that most Christians have taken. And in fact, most Muslims would say that Christians are wrong and we don't worship the same God either. Another one, may we work together to care for the community of creation, fighting against the influence of the pursuit of petrochemicals and all other earth diminishing, non-renewable imploding practices. Again, historically, the church has not seen it as her primary mission to speak out about how many barrels of oil a day a nation should produce or any nation should produce. So the, the first thing that we see is there is a difference and how we believe that we should address issues in our world. But secondly, and more specifically, the second divide is progressive Christians and historic Christians disagree over the primary mission of the church. Historically, the church has said, we are absolutely called to minister to the poor, to feed the hungry, to do things to make a difference in this world, But that is secondary to our primary call, which is to share the gospel in the world. In other words, the gospel is not primarily about fixing horizontal issues. It is primarily about fixing a vertical broken relationship that we have with God that is only made right through Jesus Christ. That is the primary call of the gospel and the primary purpose of the church. In the Boston Declaration that I referenced earlier, nowhere in this document did I read anything at all about a call to share the gospel. So I had to do a little research and I found an article where one of the authors of this declaration wrote about its purpose. A Reverend Pamela Lightsey clarified the reason that the pastors created this document. Here's what she wrote. The most important thing we can do as Christian theologians is to announce the good news of the gospel. So far so good. I'm right there with you. The good news is the radical inclusivity of God. For God so loved the world. Not just some in the world who are white or rich or male or heterosexual. I think you lost me there. God loved the whole world of animals and plants and the entire ecosystem that is a victim of the same rapaciousness and nearly mindless drive for political domination. The good news, now this is how she defines the gospel, the good news, and it is very good news, is an invitation to turn away from greed and turn toward love of neighbor." No, the good news, the gospel is, is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and when you turn to him, you can have eternal life. That is the gospel message. There are so many verses, there are so many passages in the Bible that highlight this truth that you see on your message map. You can fill this in. The mission of the church is to make the gospel visible to the world. That is our primary calling. Secondarily, we are to make this world a better place, but primarily, we are to make the gospel visible to the world. There are so many verses and passages that make this clear, but my favorite is the one that you heard Ryan read earlier from Matthew chapter 16. In that story, Jesus and his disciples are in a place called Caesarea Philippi, And Jesus takes that opportunity to turn to these men and to ask these men, who do people say that I am? And they respond. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah or some other prophet. And so Jesus then turns to them, but who do you say that I am? You guys have been with me. You've watched me up close. You've heard me tell stories. Uh, truths about God you've heard you've heard me as I've talked about the way that we should live you've watched me perform miracles who do you say that I am and Peter speaks up and says I know you are the Messiah you are the Christ the son of the living God and then Jesus responds this way verse 17 blessed are you Simon son of Jonah For this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." This is a pivotal passage in Matthew's gospel. Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus in response does two things. First of all, he confirms Peter's confession. Jesus says, you're right, I am the Messiah. I I am the anticipated Christ. He confirms that what Peter said is true. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and that we are able to have eternal life through him. But the second thing that Jesus does here is that he confirms that this truth, this gospel truth, is the foundation of the church. Jesus says, On this confession, on this gospel confession, I will build my church. It is the primary mission of the church, not social issues. The primary mission of the church is not to address political issues of our day. The primary mission of the church is not to be a fellowship club. It is not just an entertaining event on Sundays. The primary mission of the church is to proclaim Jesus is Lord. And that Messiah Jesus, this, this one who is the Christ, that he is the one through whom we can find eternal life. And whenever the church loses sight of this mission, that is when things start to go sideways. So how do we do this? How do you do this in your life? Let me give you six ways you see this on your message map and this will really wrap up our entire series. How do we fulfill this mission? Number one is to stand firm in the faith. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong when our culture and even some churches are moving away from this faith, when they are moving away from historical Christian beliefs, it becomes tempting to simply throw up your hands and give up. It becomes exhausting. When you say that you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and you're called a dinosaur or a bigot or a fundamentalist jerk, It is tempting at that point to say, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say anything else. Or maybe even it's tempting to say, maybe I should just adapt my views to the culture. There were a number of books that I read in preparation for this series. And one was by Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He wrote a book several years ago called The Gathering Storm. It is an excellent read on what the church is facing in our culture today. And in the very first chapter, he writes about the temptation faced by the church to adapt to the morals and values of the culture around us. And he wrote this, this quote caught my eye. He wrote, secularism exerts upon the church both passive and active pressure. The pressure is passive in that as society turns away from any semblance of a biblical morality, churches sacrifice confessional conviction on the altar of cultural uh, relevance. But the pressure is also active in that it often makes explicit demands on the church to surrender its essential theological claims. In the last century, the demand was to abandon doctrines, such as the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection, in order to be considered intellectually respectable. In our times, the pressure often takes the form of demands to abandon a biblical sexual morality in order to be considered morally acceptable. I think there are many of us in here who can nod our heads in agreement and say, that's exactly right. And many of you have felt this active pressure in your jobs, in your company. To be considered morally acceptable in your company is to abandon the biblical view of marriage. And you have felt the heat. You have felt the pressure. And as a Christian, there has been a temptation to not stand firm. And in your schools, and if you're a college student, especially, you have felt this pressure to have a biblical view of morality. You have felt the pressure to adapt and to change. Some of you have lost friends over your faith. There is a very real active pressure, and there is the temptation to move away from this faith. Paul here says, don't do it. Stand firm. Be courageous. Continue to stand firm on this foundation of faith. Secondly, speak graciously. So stand firm, but as you do so, speak graciously. You can see there on your message map what Peter wrote to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, Christians who were facing a lot of the same pressures we are facing today. Here's what he wrote. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in christ may be ashamed of their slander notice a couple of things in this passage peter said first of all always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have that was a big reason that i decided to do this series so that we could equip ourselves to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us for the reason for the hope that we have. And especially if you're a high school student or a college student, I'm hoping that you gain some tools out of this series to be able to talk to others who question you about your faith. And and let's just be honest, if you're on a college campus especially, or maybe a society in general, you can claim to be Christian As long as you don't believe the Bible is a word of God, it's fine. You can say that you're a Christian, and as long as your views look exactly like the views of the world, no one has a problem with you being a Christian. You can go on a college campus, and you can say, I believe in God, and I'm a Christian, and I worship Jesus all day long, as long as your views are exactly like those on your college campus. In fact, here's, here's a little phrase I came up with to maybe help us all understand how the world views the worship of God and Christian beliefs. A general belief in a general God who generally loves everyone and generally doesn't condemn any action is generally accepted by the general population. Would you agree? If you want to, feel free to copy that down. You can tweet it. You don't have to give me credit. Just put hashtag pointless faith or beliefs that don't matter. Yeah, that's the way the world views you. And so we need to be armed with reasons why we believe what we believe. And hopefully in this series, you have gotten some of that so that you are able to give an answer, just like Peter said. But secondly, I want you to know what he wrote here. When you do give those answers, you do so with gentleness and respect. Remembering that the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to win the person. So when we find ourselves confronted, we, we speak truth, but we do so in love. And by the way, this includes all of our, quote, speaking online as well. I know, you were right there with me until I said that. Now you're thinking, oh, but do I have to? As long as I'm behind the screen and the keyboard, I can say whatever I want, right? No, no. And I know you so badly want to share that post that just tears up the liberals. I get that. Just, and maybe there are some times it's okay to do that. Just be careful. Are you winning them over? or Are you just confirming that they think that all Christians are mean and hateful? Are you just confirming that belief? Whether it's in person or online, always speak with gentleness and respect. Number three, stay in fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is so key in staying grounded in the gospel. And let me just say, if you are a senior in high school and you are headed off to college, here's what I want you to do. Find your dorm room first, find a church second, and stay active in church. Otherwise, you just will not be able to stay grounded in your faith. And here's why. Church is not an event. The New Testament word for church is ecclesia, And it literally means gathering. We tend to think of church as an event that happens at nine o'clock or 1030 on Sunday morning, but church literally means the gathering together of all of those who have been changed by the gospel. And we all contribute to this gathering. Here's what I mean. If you buy tickets to a Taylor Swift concert and you plan to go, But something happens and you can't make it and you don't show up, I promise you, the concert will go on without you. She will do a great job and you are not missed. But if you don't show up here, you're missed. There's a contribution that you can make and you not being here is missed. It is felt. Your singing in worship is missed. If you're a ninth grade boy and you don't show up to your small group, your contribution is missed. The church is not an event. It is a gathering together. We all need one another in order to be able to stand strong in this world. So uh, the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together. Make that a priority. Number four, saturate yourself with God's word. And this is another one that I just cannot emphasize enough. We are all uh, broken individuals, and even after we become followers of Christ, we still have old temptations and the old ways of thinking that seek to rule our hearts and minds. And there are times that my mind can start to think like the, uh, the culture around me thinks rather than the way that God would have me to think. And the most effective way that I can fight that is to stay in the word of God. Psalm 119 says it this way. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. There are countless verses and passages we could look at that all talk about the importance of knowing and living by the word of God. Number five, serve in Jesus' name. Notice the words of Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus here says, yes, serve the world around us. Absolutely, do good deeds. Make it a priority to do things that are helpful to others. But when you do so, do it in Jesus's name. Do it in a way that the Father in heaven is given glory. If we go and we help others and we feed the hungry and we house the homeless and we help those who are struggling with addiction and we do all of those things and we don't mention the gospel, we fail to mention the name of Jesus, then we have failed them absolutely. So serve, but do so in the name of Jesus. And then finally, number six, be strong in the Lord. Be strong, not in your own power, but in the Lord. Ephesians 6, we read this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. At the end of the day, you and I cannot stand firm in our faith on our own power. If we try to do it in our own strength, we will get slaughtered. It is impossible to do it through our own strength. But there is power in the gospel. And through the gospel that saved you, That same gospel gives you power that will sustain you through all the trials of life. Uh, Dr. Harry Reeder was the pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church for 25 years. Briarwood is a major church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, One month ago, in fact, exactly one month ago on Thursday, May 18th, he was driving from a prayer breakfast where he was the keynote speaker in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, back to his home in Birmingham. Uh, For reasons that are still unknown, uh, there was a dump truck that was stopped uh, waiting to take a left-hand turn and he plowed into the back of that dump truck. When paramedics arrived, he was pronounced uh, dead on the scene and they're still not sure why he failed to stop uh, and hit that dump truck. Uh, Dr. Harry Reeder was uh, an incredible pastor and theologian and speaker. Uh, I had the opportunity to play golf with him about a year ago and was very impressed by him. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to his podcast uh, that he would put out every day where he would address theological issues as well as issues that Christians face in the world um, as well. One of my favorite stories that he told was about being in high school and his dad purchasing for him his first car. It was a 1957 Ford, which was good. The only problem was it was pink. (laughs) His dad insisted it was coral, but Harry said there was no doubt it was pink. And he said, Dad, I cannot drive as a 16-year-old boy a pink car to school. And his dad replied, son, son a a poor ride is better than a proud walk any day and he said my dad said it with such conviction that I was sure that that was somewhere in the Bible (laughs) proud walk or uh, poor ride it was still pink and he said dad I just don't think I can drive this car to school and he says, son, come over here. And he popped the hood, and underneath that hood was a 390 engine with two four-barrel carburetors. The car had actually been purchased from the South Carolina State Patrol, and there was nothing on the road that could catch it. He said he would pull up to a stoplight, and there would be someone in a muscle car next to him, a Corvette or some other car, and they would look over at him driving this pink car, and they would just laugh at him until that light turned green and suddenly they were staring at a cloud of dust they could not catch listen to me the world will laugh at you when you proclaim the gospel they will scoff at the idea that the bible is the word of god they will make fun of you for your beliefs in traditional marriage They will absolutely make fun of you for your belief that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. They will laugh at the gospel, but Christian, listen to me. There is power under that hood. And the same gospel that saved you will turn laughers into weepers. It will turn the proud into the humble. And it will turn sinners into saints. Continue to stand firm on that gospel.